0: Today we are doing another one-off sermon. We did one last week. We're in this kind of mini-series, uh, and I call it the Generation Essentials. And this is something that uh, we started several, uh, like three years ago. Um, and uh, when we're in between series, then uh, we bring the, the, this Generation Essential kind of series up again. Um, and what it is, uh, we talk about just some of the essential things that are required uh, if you are to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you're going to follow Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, there are certain things that that, that you need to know about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And already this year, we've discussed about how important community and fellowship is with other believers and other Christians and other people on this journey of faith. We've talked about the importance of worship, the importance of discipleship, uh, becoming more like Jesus. Um, Last week, we talked about something called membership and how we're all part of the body of, uh, of, of Christ. Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and that everyone has a part to play and your part is more significant than you ever could imagine. And today we're going to deal with uh, another one of these things that I call one of the essential essentials of being a follower of Jesus. And We're going to talk about something that is difficult for many people to understand and uh, it's not the most interesting word in the world. uh, But we're going to talk about something called stewardship today. And uh, uh, the word stewardship basically means that you have the role of a manager. You are a steward of something. Now, when people think of stewardship, they think of money. Right, So in the church, if you've been at church long enough, you hear stewardship, you're like, oh no, we're getting the money talk. Right? That's what many people think, but today we're not going to talk about money. and uh, Because stewardship isn't just about money. Stewardship is about our whole life. And so we're going to talk about this thing called stewardship today. And what it means is that to be a steward means that you have possession of something, but you don't own it. You are just a manager of something. So you have possession of it, but you're not the owner. So if any of you lease a car here, you know, you lease a car. Uh, If you lease a car, you have possession. You make payments on it, but you actually don't own it. The car company owns it. For those of you who've got houses, you call it your house. Really, you don't own it. The mortgage company owns it, right? And you know that because you have to make that payment every single month. Otherwise, they're going to come and take the, car, the house back from you. You're in possession of it. You're a steward of it. Now, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we believe that all we have is from God and is God's. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And as believers of Jesus, we believe that this earth is the Lord's. Our life is the Lord's. That Jesus, uh, the, the Bible says that we've been bought with a price, that we are no longer ours, but we are Christ's. And so we believe that all we have is Christ's. It's God's. It belongs to God, But we have possession of it. We are managers of it. We are stewards of what we have. Now, we also believe as believers of Jesus Christ that this world is not our home. That, that we are on a heavenward journey towards home. And so we are what you call sojour- sojourners traveling through a foreign land. We are journeyers traveling through this world trying to get home. And so we believe that what we have in this world is not ours to keep. Now, if any of you have uh, experienced death at all, like not yourself because you wouldn't be here, but you've experienced other people who have died, you know that those people couldn't take all the stuff they had with them, right? Now, that's it. Once the breath goes out of your lungs, all that you've gained in this world, it stays here. It doesn't go with you because it's not yours. It's, it stays here. And so we are on a journey home. And so we are managers of what we have. We're not owners of what we have. And this is what I know about the kingdom of God. When we follow Jesus Christ and we are good managers of what God has given us, God makes sure that we are provided for. God makes sure that we are protected. And along the way, you'll also find that God will bless you along the way. However, If we decide we don't want to be managers, we don't want to uh, just be stewards of what we have. Instead, we want to be owners. We want to own it. We want to say, it's mine, like a three-year-old would say, it's mine. If we want to say that, then this is often what happens. If you're following the journey of faith, you'll find that the protection of God comes off you. The provision of God departs from you, and the blessing of God isn't as obvious in your life as it is when you decide that everything is the Lord's. So today, we're going to talk about this word stewardship in a very different way. In a different way than you've probably ever even heard before. And today is going to be very challenging. I'm not going to lie. Today actually may be a little somber. We like to be very uplifting and and everything on a Sunday morning. We want you to go out feeling like, oh, praise Jesus. The world is wonderful. I love life. But today is going to be a little somber, and that's okay, because not everything smells like roses all the time, and some roses don't smell that good anyway. Sometimes you have to do a little weeding in life, and this week I was going out into my yard. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and I went to water some of our flowers and plants because they look like they've been in a drought for like seven years. And before I started watering, I started looking down. I'm like, why is it that the plants die, but the weeds grow, right? Have anyone noticed that? The weeds grow. And, it, they're, and they're not just the easy kind of pluck out. They're the ones that you have to get your hand right in and pull them out. And so I spent like the next hour just weeding. It was miserable. I didn't like it. I I wanted to go back inside, but I knew I had to get it done because otherwise the weeds overtake the yard. And so I did the job of weeding. And this morning, we're going to do a little weeding in our hearts and in our souls, if that's okay. But before we do that, I want to show you some pictures. And because pictures are always great to take a look at, so in the year two thousand and four, I went on my what I call my last family vacation before I became a kept man. And so we went away with my parents and my sister and my brother, and we went to Turkey. Uh, Turkey is a wonderful country. And Turkey is very, if you go to Western Turkey, it's very different to Eastern Turkey. Eastern Turkey is very westernized. And uh, sorry, West Turkey is very westernized. East Turkey is just, is very different. It's a lot more like the Middle East. But if you go to West Tur- Turkey today, it's a very nice uh, place, even though there's been some things on the news which are kind of crazy. But we went to this place in Turkey. And we went to this vacation resort, and it was wonderful. It was beautiful. But about 10 miles from where we were staying, there was the ancient city of Ephesus. And so we wanted to go and see Ephesus. Now, there's a bunch of tall tourist buses and tourist people trying to sell you tours to Ephesus. Because it's this big tourist attraction now. Because they are some of the most amazing ruins of an ancient city you will ever see in your life. They have been preserved in amazing ways. And so we took this trip to Ephesus. So I want to show you some pictures of the amazing ruins at Ephesus. It was like 100 degrees that day and uh, there was like stone everywhere. And so it was just kind of crazy. So Josh, if you want to put the the first First picture up. So this is from the top. So you park at the top, and then you walk down. And this is like the main street of Ephesus. This is where all like the uh, the, um, the the shops and the houses would have been on either side. And you walk down the streets to to the main area where all the, 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 the commerce would have been, where all the businesses would have been um, down, down the bottom. So so it's a long walk. It's a big city. It was spread out for uh, a while. So that that's the first one. Let's take a look at the next picture. And this is actually the library at Ephesus. So the library at Ephesus at the time was the second biggest library in the world. The biggest library in the world was in a city called Alexandria. but this is the second biggest library in the world. And you could see, I mean, this is an ancient city. It's two stories high, and, uh, and it just looks amazing. And it was built by the Romans, a lot of this stuff. And so the Romans, uh, they, they, they built a lot of big stuff for the front, and then they put all the little stuff at the back. So they were like showy people. So they had like the amazing house on the front, but then you went inside. You're like, what happened to this amazing house when you walked through? And that was kind of how the Romans did their homes. So let's take a look at the next picture. And this is pretty impressive. So this, this is the uh, uh, the basically the, uh, the amphitheater in uh, Ephesus. And this is where they would have plays. They would have shows. And sometimes they would have the gladiators in there, even though they had a different stadium for the gladiators. Um, That's totally been destroyed now. But uh, this could hold 25,000 people. So you can imagine how big this city was at Ephesus. It was a, an amazing city. Actually, this is the stadium. If you read the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was causing havoc in Ephesus. And uh, they wanted to, to, to kill him because uh, the businesses were going down because there was uh, all these people who were selling uh, statues of the uh, of the goddess Diana. And uh, Paul kept preaching and people were turning away from the goddess Diana and turning to the one true God. And so the businessmen didn't like it. So what they did, there was a a riot. They grabbed Paul and they dragged him into this amphitheater and they were ready to kill him and he escaped and he got out of Ephesus before they killed him. That's the place. Let's take a look at the last picture. Now this picture, and actually we've got uh, this one and then another one. This is from the top of the amphitheater and you can see out. Now if you see out, you see the mountains and then you see some water in the background up there, right? You you, You see some like greeny water. That's is what's important to know about Ephesus. Okay, let's take a look at the next slide, and the last one. Now from the amphitheater, you come down this road here, and this was the port of Ephesus. This is where the ships came in and brought all the commerce. You may think, well, Alex, there's no water. And that's what's important about Ephesus. This is the most amazing place. If you ever go to Turkey, you wanna go to Ephesus. And you want to go and take a look around, because it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing place to see old ruins. Actually, there are people everywhere. there are tourists everywhere, all over Ephesus. But this is my fear. And this is what I show you this this morning. I have a huge fear that the Church of Jesus Christ in America is becoming like the ruins at Ephesus. They are grand. They attract lots of people. They are full of splendor, but there's no life. They're uninhabitable. They are a showpiece of a past-gone era. You won't find this being a ghost town because it's full of tourists. But there's nobody selling anything. There's nobody living there at Ephesus because it's a showpiece of a past-gone era. Now, many religious academics call the era that we live in today they call it the post-Christian era. And what they mean by that is that America no longer lives by the moral code of Christianity. That's what they mean by post-Christian. So a of academics say, we live in a post-Christian era. For the last 20 years or so, we've lived in an era that other academics have called the postmodern era. I'm sure you've heard, all heard of postmodern, right? Well, what they mean by that is it's after the modern era. What the modern era was, the modern era started in the 18th century, and it started with the Industrial Revolution. And it started with all these inventions, and life just getting easier because of all these inventions, all the manufacturing that was going on. The cities were being built up, cities were getting larger, and as cities got larger, suburbs became. Before that, many people just lived in rural areas, but now people were migrating to the cities. And people in the modern era, they live their life mostly in America by a Christian moral code. Now we live in a post-modern society where the Industrial Revolution is for China. And we live in the technology revolution, along with India, right? And so that's what we live in. We live in this era where, where everything is technology, where, where everything comes out of, uh, 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 of Silicon Valley. And, uh, and, and that's the era that we live in, this postmodern era. And along with it, people's morals and the ways that they live life have changed. And now it's become what they call this postmodern era. See, things change, people change, cities evolve. However, what happened to Ephesus is heartbreaking and a lesson for us all. And this is what happened to Ephesus. It lost its heartbeat. It lost its heartbeat. It lost its life source. Its life source was its harbor. Ephesus was a port city. But what happened, there was a few earthquakes that happened through other, uh, 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 other incidences happened. The harbor area underground, silt started to form and flow into the harbor. What's, what silt does, it builds up. And as the silt on the seabed started to build up, the water started to retract. And as the water started to retract, ships could no longer come in to the harbor of Ephesus. And as the water attracted more, instead of free-flowing water and and, and just the rivers from the ocean coming in and and the outlets from the ocean coming in, what happened? The water started to get stagnant and it became a swamp. And what happens when swamps come? Mosquitoes come. We all know about mosquitoes this time of year, right? It's like all day, you're outside, you're like, You know, all the time, right? Mosquitoes come. The problem is, in the ancient world, when mosquitoes came, it meant disease came. And when disease came, people got sick and they died. So what happened, the disease came, the ships couldn't come in, so the businesses started to move away. And as the businesses started to move away, so did the people. And the people started to move away. And as the people moved away, they got up and they went to other places where the businesses were. And eventually, Ephesus became a ghost town. The heart of Ephesus was taken out. The life of Ephesus came out of it. People left. And today, these ruins of Ephesus stand six miles from the water. Six miles from the water. And this is what can happen if we don't take care of the life source within us. I want you to think about Christianity in America right now. Is it thriving like Ephesus in its heyday? Ephesus was known as the New York of its day. Is it thriving like it did in its heyday? Does Christianity in America resemble a declining Ephesus where we're losing people and the water is disappearing? Or is it like the ruins of Ephesus? A museum of a past world. This is what I see Christianity right now in America. And this is where we get a little somber this morning. I see Christianity similar to what the prophet Haggai saw about the city of Jerusalem in the year 520 BC. And this is what he saw. The book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, governor of Judah. And Jeshua, or some translations will say Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of the heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not come yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says Look at what is happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, But you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. So let me give you just a very quick background. Haggai is speaking to the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is governed or overtaken by the Persian Empire at this point. Back history to to, uh, Israel. Israel was a united country under King David and then under Solomon. But then it started to divide. And it divided into two. There was Judah and Israel. Judah still tried to follow the law of God. Israel just did their own thing and served other gods. Eventually, the Babylonians came and they captured and they attacked and they overtook Judah and Israel. And they took many of those people captive into Babylon. But there were a few people left. And Jerusalem came under the Babylonian rule. But then the Persians came and the Persian Empire then started to rule the majority of the known world. And they were under the rule of a king called King Darius. And Jerusalem was once this once great city of David. It was now lying in ruins after all the wars that have taken place. It were, they were not a sovereign nation. They were ruled by somebody else. And the great temple of Solomon that Solomon built, that was one of the seven wonders of the world, had been destroyed. And now the people are trying to save the city. There was a man called Zerubbabel. He had been placed in charge as governor of the region of Judah, which Jerusalem belonged to. Now, Zerubbabel, he was actually a true heir to the throne of David, which was the throne of Israel. But because they weren't a sovereign nation, he wasn't able to become king. But instead, he was able to become governor of this area, this region. So he oversaw it. Along with a man called Jeshua, or Joshua, some translations put it, who was appointed the high priest. Together, they both ruled this city and they were in charge of rebuilding this city to get the city back on its feet. Now, as they were rebuilding the city, there was very little money or wealth. The businesses weren't coming in, people weren't getting rich. People focused on rebuilding their homes so that they could live. They had a roof over their head, and they were focusing on the fields to make sure they could produce a crop for harvest so that they could get the economy running again. People had to get back on their feet, and this was their focus. The Temple of Solomon was not high on their list. It was a luxury to them. They were like, we need to sort our own houses out. We need to sort our own fields out. And it's in this moment God speaks to the people, and God speaks in a way that nobody wants to hear God speak. And I'm going to paraphrase what God said. And this is what he said to them. He said, is it okay that you are so focused with your own homes and businesses, but think it is not a problem to neglect the house of God? He asked them a question. God calls their homes luxurious. Let me tell you right now, they did not live in Todd Lakes. They did not live, you know, in Beverly Hills. They did not live in all these luxurious places in these wonderful homes. God calls them luxurious, but history will tell you they were simple homes that had just been walled and roofed. So that they were protected. But God calls these homes luxurious. Remember, they are not owners, but they are managers. This is the city of David. This is the great city that God has promised and God has prospered. And now they are in this city and they are managers and stewards of this city. But God calls them owners. God says, you think you're owners of this city. Let the words of verses 5 to 11 just sink in for a moment. God says this, He says that you've harvested a lot. Sorry, you've sowed a lot. You've worked a lot in the fields, but you've harvested a little. He says, you eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're always thirsty. He says, you put clothes on and you can't keep warm. Then he says, and you have money. But as soon as the money goes in, it disappears like you've got holes in your pockets. Anyone feel like that on payday? Right? And that's what God is saying. This is happening. And he says, and this is the reason why it's happening. Because you've put the focus on building your own life ahead of building up the place of God. And he says, and this is why this is happening. You're working hard, but you're harvesting a little. You feel, you feel like, I should be getting more for my labor. Right? You go to work and you're like, I'm putting the time in. I'm putting the effort in. And this is all I get for all that time and effort. And that's what's happening to the people of Jerusalem. And God is saying, it's because you're putting your life over God's life. you have seen yourself as an owner instead of being a steward of what God has given you. And let's be honest. We live in a time where the economy is starting to boom again after the down of 2008. But let me be honest, I wonder, there is an economic harvest right now, but is there a spiritual harvest? And I wonder if we have neglected the place of God in preference for focusing on our own place of comfort and pleasure. The people were chasing. They were running, they were working, they were never satisfied, they were still hungry. They were putting so much energy into building up their own lives, but they were not taking care of their souls. They were neglecting God, trying to keep their own house in order. The people were not committing any sins. They weren't sinful people, but this is what was happening. They were neglecting God, and the blessing of God was not upon them. In the same way, you can ruin a marriage without ever bringing sin into your marriage. You just neglect your marriage. You can ruin a marriage just by spending more time on other things than you can with your spouse. And it's the same with God. So this is what I want us to do this morning. As I was preparing this sermon and I was reading this and I was going through it, I took this moment just to stop, to pause and think, am I building my house and my life up more than I'm building the house of God up? And so this is what I want us to do this morning very quickly. I want us to take a moment and ask ourselves that question. And before we do that, I want to show you where some of our leaders are building their house up instead of the house of God. And so I'm going to read a list of things that I just wrote down this week as I was preparing this sermon on Tuesday night. I just sat down in my office And I just started to think of all the ways that I've put my life before God. And I've asked some of our leaders to do the same as well. And so I'm going to read a list, five things that I put in my life that I think that I've built up before building up the house of God. And then two of our leaders are going to come and share what they believe this morning. And I want you to think in your life right now, where have I built up my life but ignored the place of God? So this is my list. I've taken care of my physical body at the expense of not taking as much care of my soul. I've sought more business connections over kingdom connections. I've spent more time trying to influence others over let, letting Christ influence me. I've put more strength, sweat, and tears into securing my future and less into setting up the future of our church. I'm giving away more money to the church than I ever have before. But I'm giving less percentage-wise than I was four years ago. And I wonder if I've stopped making a sacrifice. I'm going to ask Josh to come. Josh oversees our relationship, discipleship, and outreach ministries. And Josh is going to share. All right, so I also have uh, three things that I've i uh kind of come up as I looked over my life <clears throat> I've spent more time and energy pursuing my own pleasures than growing God's kingdom I've been more concerned with how much I have than with how much I give and I have sought to gain knowledge rather than gaining wisdom thanks Josh I'm going to ask Zoe to come Zoe oversees our servicing programming and creative ministries um so I have spent more time preparing for a Sunday morning than I have been praying for a Sunday morning. Mm-mm. I have worried more about trials in my life, more than more than I have listened to what I'm supposed to know from God out of those trials. I have worried more about my physical appearance than I have about my spiritual thanks Zoe so this is what I want you to do I want you to bow your heads and we're going to take a moment for you to lament and even repent where have you built up your life and neglected the place of God Why by your heads, are still bad. I want mean, to listen to this. Haggai 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jeozadak, Jehozad- the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people, began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked enthusiasm. In Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, and enthusiasm in Jeshua of Judah, and the son of Jeozedek, the high priest, and enthusiasm in the whole remnant of God's people, they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius' reign. There was a problem. They built up their life at the expense of neglecting the house of God. And that day, as Haggai gave this message, something happened within them. There was a change in their hearts. God tugged at their hearts, and there was something called repentance. It wasn't repentance from sin. It was repentance from apathy and short-sightedness. To repent means to turn around. And the people building their own homes turned around and they looked up and they saw the temple. And they saw it was in neglect. And there was an urgency within them. There was a commitment to the house of God. And they started to rebuild. And then this happened. Then on October 20th of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Four weeks later. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land, Does anyone remember this house? This temple in its former splendor? God is asking them, do do you remember how the Temple of Solomon was? So grand, so amazing. How, in comparison, does this look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all, God says. For the people started to build, and as they built, they realized they didn't have the wealth, they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the expertise to rebuild like the Solomon's Temple. So people started to get discouraged because it didn't look like how it looked before. But then in verse 4 of Haggai 2, Jesus says this, But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua son of Jehozadak the high priest be strong all you people still left in the land and now get to work for I am with you says the Lord of heaven's armies my spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt so do not be afraid God says for this is what the Lord of heaven's army says in a little while I will again shake the heavens and the earth the oceans and the dry land I will shake all the nations and the treasures of the nations will be brought into this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's Armies have spoken God gives this promise you start to rebuild my temple you focus on the place of God and this is what's going to happen that I'm going to be with you my spirit is going to be with you and the glory of this temple will be greater than the glory of the old temple the old temple may have looked amazing But this temple is going to be more glorious unto me, says God. For God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. The physical building may not have been as magnificent. But their hearts were filled with splendor unto God. God declares again, this is my house and I delight in it. These are my people and I delight in them. And this is what I know, Generation Church. If we check our hearts, if we use our energy and apply our resources that God has given us, if we steward well what God has given us and manage it well for the purposes of Christ, we won't be able to recreate what was in the past. The old... Christianity of America, it's gone. But a new day has arisen. And God is doing a new thing. And the impact and the blessing of what God has wanted to do in our generation will be even greater than what God did in generations past. So this is what happens. When the temple was thriving, Jerusalem was thriving. And when the gospel of Jesus is thriving, And the gospel of Jesus is transforming lives, and we are telling people about Jesus. What happens? We all thrive. When the house of God is blessed, everybody is blessed. So, as we close today, I want to leave you with this promise. That's in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. God says, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Let's close our eyes for a moment. I love the fact that our leaders are willing to stand up here and be vulnerable to you guys. And say, you know what? There are things in my life that I've missed the boat on it. That I've cared more about my own things than the things of God. And when God starts to tug at your heart and you start to turn back to Him, this is what I know that happens. God's provision, God's protection, God's blessing, God's face starts to shine upon you. And where you've toiled and struggled without God. You start to find easy. And you get momentum with God. Remember Jesus says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so in a moment I'm just going to pray. But before I pray... I want to ask you, are you willing to turn and not focus so much on your own house and your own fields and your own stuff? But are you willing to turn and look at the temple of God, the place of God, the heart of God? Look at your soul where God dwells and say, I'm going to join in the rebuilding efforts to rebuild the place where God dwells. And the promise of God is this, that when you do that, God takes care of everything else. When you choose not to say, it's mine, say, no, it's the Lord's. God takes care of everything else. When you pursue God over pursuing your own things, This is what happens. The glory of God becomes greater and greater and greater in your life. The impact of Jesus becomes greater and greater and greater. And so as I pray this morning, if you're in that place where you're saying, yes, Lord, I have done things that I've neglected you. I've built up my own house, but left yours in ruins. If that's you this morning and you're willing to, I want you to take this moment as I pray just to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to focus on you. Help me to be satisfied with you. Help me to be enthusiastic about the things of God. Once again. So Father God, we come to you this morning. And God, we're doing some weeding of our souls this morning. And we'll be honest, Lord, weeding is not fun. But Father, we understand that the weeds of our soul, if we don't take care of will overgrow and overpower the flowers of our soul and the plants that bring life to our soul so God as we weed out the things that we've neglected of you Father Father we pray that you will help us you'll give us the strength you'll give us the energy and the enthusiasm to turn And start to plant more into your kingdom. To start to rebuild the temple of God within us. Knowing, Lord, that the former glory will be nothing compared to the future glory. That you're going to reveal through and in us, God. So, Father, today we come before you. We repent. God, we are determined to turn around. And as we turn around, God, we are committed to rebuilding. In the name of Jesus, give us a harvest like we've never seen before. We ask in Jesus' name we pray.